0: Um, a bunch of the last few sermons have been heavy. This one's going to be heavy too, in a different way. I, yeah, in a different way, but, um, I really wrestled with, with this all week, what to do with this. And I want to begin by acknowledging that I'm, I'm preaching to the choir that for some people, this might be controversial. I don't think it will be for, for you guys or, um. It's just a hard topic that I've it's weighed heavily on my mind and has for years now and um had an opportunity to talk about it so I'm going to do so we're stepping away from Second Samuel obviously but um one of my, the my favorite shows that's ever aired on television was a show called Band of Brothers which aired right around the turn of the millennium on HBO and it's about Easy Company which were a, a paratrooper, a infantry people who dropped into D-Day. Um, they were on the front lines of some of the most fierce fighting of World War II. And um, it's made brilliantly. It's, it's devastating to watch. It's all based on historical fact. It's very thorough that way. And I think there's like 10 episodes, but the best episode is the second last episode. It's called Why We Fight. And it. Shows easy company in Germany um, stumbling into, uh, stumbling upon a concentration camp for the first time and seeing um, the effects of that. The Germans had fled by that point and they were unaware that this was there, they were unaware that this was happening. And one thing they examined in that episode is the German people all around them who knew of these horrors knew of these atrocities just regular folk and just lived their lives like it was either not a big deal or they didn't pay it much attention and after world war ii that was a question a lot of people had for just not the not the nazis not the ss but for the regular german folk how how could you let this happen how could you allow this and how culpable are the German people for the Holocaust? How responsible are they for the, the, the horrors next to them? And what was the Holocaust? Well, the Holocaust was um, superiority based on race. It was loss of rights for people who were considered less than human. It was centralized locations where people were housed and stored, um, forced labor. There was torture, dehumanization, and the purpose of it was extermination. Superiority based on race, loss of rights, centralized locations, forced labor, torture, dehumanization, extermination. Every one of these elements was present in the Holocaust, and every one of those elements was present in Canada for over a 100 years. Our Holocaust, our final solution to the indigenous problem... Has never been properly acknowledged, and its victims continue to live in the dark shadow of repercussions from the horrors they were subjected to for about seven generations. This is o- it's obvious why I'm bringing this up now. Kamloops was has just happened, but growing up, did any of you learn about residential schools in school? Did yeah. some people did? Our girls are young enough now that it they learn about it. We talk about it every year, make a point of it. I don't remember a single time learning about residential schools all growing up. We talked about Japanese internment camps and the shame on Canada for that, but never learned about residential schools at all until about five or six years ago at the school. We started to talk more and more about it, and it blew my mind when I learned about it. If we're talking identity... Nearly every single person here today is identifiable by three identical factors. Race, nationality, and religion. For most of us, those three things are identical. For most of us, our race is Caucasian, our nationality is Canadian, and our religion is Christian. Our collective social identity, for the most part, as a church, is mostly white Canadian Christians. And that's exactly the same social identity of those who perpetrated the atrocities of the residential school system. They too were white, they too were Canadian, and worst of all, they too were Christian. If the German people were culpable for the crimes committed in their midst, I would argue that white Canadian Christians are culpable for the crimes committed in our midst as well. And I know what you're thinking. At times I think, well, that was a long time ago, or that has nothing to do with me. I I had no part in that. And that may be true. Your personal responsibility, your personal culpability, is so low as to be non-existent. But while residential schools were a long time ago, although I will pause and say it wasn't that long ago, I was in grade 6 when the last residential school closed in 1996. 25 years ago is not that long ago by any scale of measurement. Um, most of you grew up going to school at the time when these things were flourishing in Canada. So it's not that long ago. But while residential schools themselves have been closed for decades, the traumatic intergenerational effects of these schools are still wide open, and they're all around us. So I want us to do a quick imagination exercise, because most of us here today are parents. I want you to imagine that the government agent comes to your place, um, rips away your children, beginning at age four. Sometimes these children would be returned to you in the summer, but often not. Many times they couldn't be returned to you because they died or were killed during their time away from you. And even conservative estimates say 50 to 60 percent of kids who went into residential school care died in residential school care. With no rights or privileges to fight back, you had to allow this. You had to let your children go with these agents. It was illegal for you as a First Nations, Métis, or Inuit individual to hire a lawyer. You were not allowed to do that. It was illegal for you to leave the reserve. And it was illegal for you to fight back in any capacity. The RCMP were literally created for the purpose of, of crushing your people that's why the rcmp was created the northwest Mounted police so the local provincial and federal governments are all against you you had to allow it to happen imagine being these parents grieving fearing powerless people who hate you have come and stolen your children from you where do you turn The government had made treaties with you promising good schools, good health care, and financial compensation, but they reneged on each one of these deals. What they did provide, though, was lots of injustice. So you have all that pain and nothing to do with it except drink it away. Or end it prematurely. Suicide rates in indigenous communities skyrocketed and remain to this day three to seven times higher than among the general population. So that's... Just beginning to understand the pain for 130 years for the parents. Now let's imagine that you're one of these children. You're ripped away from your family and everything you know and love, forced onto either a train or the back of a truck, to some remote location often hours and hours away. When you get to the building, you're huddled together like cattle in barn-like structures with inadequate ventilation, heating, or necessities tuberculosis and other diseases ran rampant and destroyed hundreds if not thousands of lives and infected children children infected with tuberculosis were often intentionally placed in packed areas with other children so to spread the disease easily children died regularly of hypothermia and exposure many attempted to run away only to never be seen again by anyone kids were starved while the priests and nuns ate the food that they forced the kids to grow Many of the children were pressed into labor, homemaking skills for the girls, hard labor for the boys up to 14 hours a day, beginning at age 5. These were sweatshops as the local diocese profited off their work. Children were forcibly separated from siblings, even though they were in the same building, they were not allowed to communicate in any way. They were forbidden to speak their native languages, the only language they knew when they spoke it, they were punished. I heard of one school that punished the speaking of, I think it was Cree, by whenever they heard Cree, the operators of the school would pierce the children's tongues with red-hot needles as punishment. Names were changed arbitrarily to English names. Religious traditions were banned. Long hair, which was sacred, was chopped short immediately, which is akin to the Nazis shaving the curls and beards off Hasidic Jews. No element of the only life you'd ever known was ever made permissible to you. And everything about your identity was reframed as backwards, or illegal, or savage. And I want to talk about that word savage for a second. Which is more savage, to have different beliefs, or to force upon penalty of death the, the indoctrination of different beliefs? Which is more savage? I'll tell you what's savage. Abuse of every kind ran rampant in these schools. The whole thing was built on a foundation of spiritual and cultural abuse to begin with. It was literally intended to destroy their entire cultural identity, and they used the name of Jesus to do so. If that's not spiritual abuse, I don't know what is. There was physical abuse for minor infractions like spilling soup or waving to your sibling. There was burnings, whippings, cuttings. I heard of one school where little children who soiled themselves were forced to eat the mess that they had made. Many, many, many children were beaten to death. Sexual abuse by the priests was also far too common. Many survivors, both male and female, speak of this, of laying in bed at night hearing the jingling of the robes coming down the hall wondering if that was their turn that night or not. I listened to Murray Sinclair Who is a hero, a Canadian hero? He's an indigenous judge and who was chairman of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. This is very graphic. So, girls, I'm going to get you to cover your ears for this. And if you don't want to listen, you are welcome to mute me for the time being. This is just very graphic and I'll wave like this when it's done if you want to rejoin. But he spoke of pubescent girls being impregnated by their attackers regularly. And when the babies were born, this is the graphic part, the infants were often killed in front of them. On several occasions at one residential school, the live babies were thrown into a furnace in front of the mother who had just born them to the priest who had raped them. That was done in the name of Jesus. I read that and it took me a minute to compose myself. Understandably, many children attempted to run away. Many children took their own lives. On several occasions, children burned down their residential school, and in at least one instance of arson, it killed every child sleeping inside. Throw in the torture of loneliness, of distance from everyone who has ever loved you. Throw in the torture of uncertainty, of survival, of constant dehumanization, constantly being made to feel like you were less than human. That starts when you're five years old, when you're Zoe's age, 12. How do you deal with that? And it's every indigenous child across the entire nation. How does that change a child? How does that change an entire people group? And if you died, which was frequent, you were often tossed into an unmarked grave like the one found in Kamloops. It is by no means the only one. Survivors speak of almost every single residential school having a similar site. Uh, so Kamloops is, is the norm. It's not the It's not the exception. Almost all of these facilities had something like this. And what does an unmarked grave signify? Why is it universally recognized as evil to toss people into an unmarked grave? It's because an unmarked grave signifies that the life or collection of lives that have ended were not Excuse me. we're not worthy of remembrance. We're not worthy of recognition. I know many people who have little crosses when they bury their dog because their dog is worthy of remembrance. But when we bury an entire generation of a people group without so much as a marker, we're saying that we believe those lives to be worthless. And then when we won't do anything to try to exhume those bodies and honor those bodies, when we won't even give money to search the grounds for that, When those First Nations have to pay the money themselves to do that, what does that say about how we value those people? It says that they're a nuisance to be buried like trash. It says that they're a final solution for an inconvenient problem. It's degrading, it's dehumanizing, it's despicable, and it was done in the name of Jesus. Not every residential school was as genocidally maniacal as the next. Some survivors speak of gentle and loving teachers who exemplified Christ. But that doesn't excuse the system as a whole. There were some SS guards who gave Jews extra bread in the concentration camp. Oskar Schindler saved dozens of Jewish lives and is regarded as a hero. Do these isolated incidences undo the horrors of the system as a whole? Even if the priests and nuns were kind, which was not the norm? Even if they were, the entire thing was built on the hopes of either wiping out indigeneity or propagating the lie that the only kind of life worth living is Eurocentric Christianity, with all its love of the idols of power and money and violence and white supremacy. Why would we want to convert them to that? Residential schools was a program of either killing the Indian in the child or, just to make things simpler, kill the child themselves. Is this how Jesus told us to go and make disciples? Learn English, cut your hair, or be thrown in an unmarked grave. Those are your choices when it comes to the kingdom of God. A God of grace and service and justice and love. This is how we show it to 130 years worth of an entire people group. How do you, as a child come out of this experience even if you survived which was about 50 50 according to most statistics even if you survived you witnessed tremendously traumatic things even if you survive you come back to a country that still hates you still oppresses you still discriminates against you can you imagine trusting these people again can you imagine trusting authority figures police schools churches white people ever again even if you survive you've not learned love acceptance, or gentle discipline from your parents, you've learned authoritarianism. You've learned abuse and spiteful hate. These things are ingrained in you and passed on like a brand to the next generation. Can you imagine what that would do to you? And we have the nerve to say, get over it. I don't know how many white people I've heard say or post on social media, get over it. That was a long time ago. Despite all this, there are, of course, thousands of stories of victory and strength and success among these people. Stories of subversion, of siblings having secret languages so they could communicate love despite the ban against it. Of survivors becoming community leaders to work against the pain that they've experienced. Survivors who become judges, teachers, artists, authors, parents, who reverse the effects of these schools of young people refusing to believe the lies about their worthlessness and subhumanity, of survivors finding a Jesus of grace and love and truth and reconciliation despite all the garbage done in his name. And you can see this has effects right in our household. Kennedy's been having a hard time this week with all of the stories of residential schools in the news. She's been having nightmares about it because this is her family. This is These are her people. These success stories are just as important to tell as the tales of trauma and I hope we listen to the, the survivors who tell them. They're not my stories to tell. In fact, well, I'll get there. We can't escape the 150 years of pain and generational trauma that residential schools have inflicted on our indigenous neighbors. And when it wasn't residential schools, we as white Christian Canadians found hundreds of other ways to perpetuate the evil of residential schools. It didn't have to be the schools themselves. We cannot escape the fact that the people who perpetrated these crimes against humanity and allowed them to fester and boil even today are people like us, European settlers did this, Canada did this, the church did this, white Canadian Christians did this, no, you did not do this, but our people did do this. So it's up to white Canadian Christians to take steps towards both truth and reconciliation, and I see far too many white Canadian Christians denying truth, denying reconciliation. I understand there is reluctance to do so, probably for many people listening to this today. There are already so many tragedies in the world and our heart can only hold so much. Plus, hey, that was a long time ago. Plus, hey, they need to get over it already. Plus, hey, they're just looking for excuses and financial handouts. Plus, 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 whatever ignorant excuse for not caring or not helping you want to come up with, you'll come up with them. And I've heard many. In fact, I received an email this week from a local pastor who I hold in high regard. And he was responding to a post that I had made on Facebook. The post was a quote that I found on Twitter by a man named Charles Adler. And the quote read this. I asked myself, would Jesus have dumped the flesh and bones of 215 children, one of them a three-year-old, into a massive pit? No tomb, no stone, no markers of any kind? And the quote ends with, The church's mission with residential schools and Canada's mission too, I might add. The church's mission was to take the Indian out of the child. Which is a quote from, um, oh, I forget his name now. Uh, Sir Ryerson, I think, had the quote. It might have been Johnny MacDonald himself. The church's mission was to take the Indian out of the child. And it seems to me they took the Christ out of the Christian. So the response that I received from the pastor was this. Hey, the federal government has made several public apologies, and in 2005, 80,000 survivors were financially compensated. Why isn't that enough? Why won't they accept our apologies? What more can be done? We need to focus on the bitterness and anger against white people and the church, not focused on past issues that stay in the past. That response is pretty typical of a lot of what I see on social media. Hey, they're starting to attack us as white people, as Christians. That's not okay. Why won't they just get over it? Why won't they accept our apology? Well, I don't know. If you and your people experience any of what I've described, would an apology and a check be enough for you? Especially when conditions on First Nations reserves and Métis settlements are often third-world quality or worse? Especially when your people continue to experience rampant prejudice and oppression You're constantly stereotyped as lazy, freeloading drunks with kooky spiritual beliefs. Especially when the rate of imprisonment is seven to eight times that of the general population. Has enough been done to undo the terrible injustices performed in the name of Jesus? I don't think so. So no. I don't want to lay blame for the travesty of the residential school system at your feet at the feet of the Hootmers and Galts and, and, and Williamses and Lances. I, I don't want to lay the, the blame on your feet, but I do want to ask, what role can we play in bringing about healing? If it was powerful white Canadian Christians who caused this in history, and if powerful white Canadian Christians have largely stood silent throughout the decades out of either ignorance or indifference, then I think a fair question now is, what will powerful white Canadian Christians do to usher in true justice, to honor God in the midst of such dishonoring hate and oppression and abuse? Will we wash our hands of it, or will we wash the feet of those still suffering the effects of it? Regular everyday Germans were culpable for the Holocaust, even just for electing Hitler to power. They used their voice to make this happen. How we use our voice matters. Silence is violence or the perpetuation of violence. Ignorance is no longer an excuse. If it's been done in the name of Jesus, then it has to be undone in the name of Jesus as well. And every Canadian, no matter their skin color or belief system, has a part to play. To close, I want to read an article that Marnie sent me after I posted that by an author named Sarah Bessie. She speaks much more eloquently than me, and she is... Uh, some really good practical advice for how we can bring about justice. I'm going to share it on my screen, and then we'll read it together. And it begins with this picture that you've probably seen uh, in the news. It's a pair of shoes for every one of the 215 um, bodies that were discovered in Kamloops. So here's Sarah Bessie. She says... The world is reeling from the discovery of the bodies of 215 children buried in an unmarked grave at the site of a former residential school in Kamloops, B.C. Kamloops, by the way, is a city named after the local First Nations people. The discovery of this mass grave confirms the oral histories of the elders and survivors. This may be the story that has captured headlines for a moment, but it won't be the last. Most of these kids are likely undocumented. There has been no justice for them. Generations of Indigenous elders and activists and witnesses have told us that these sites exist. This truth is sitting in Volume 4 of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's report right this moment. We simply haven't cared enough to mourn and lament well, let alone pursue justice for those kids and their families. There were 139 such schools across Canada. It's estimated that more than 150,000 First Nation, Métis and Inuit kids between the age of 4 and 16 were sent to these schools over the years they operated. Most of us can point to the local residential school in our communities. Some have been abandoned, others tore down, some were repurposed. I can go for a walk through the foundations of one of these schools, stand on the stone steps to buildings long gone, and look at the graveyard on the hillside. For us, the most local residential school was St. Albert, by the way. There were others in Lacklebish, uh, Wabasca. You can look up their locations. It's online. The last residential school was closed in 1996, basically yesterday. Seven generations of Indigenous children were removed from their homes, their parents, their communities, and their families to be placed in these government-sponsored religious schools, so the Indian could be educated out of them. Children were stolen from their homes, forbidden to speak their languages, cut off from their culture and their way of life, separated from their families, malnourished and cold, worked relentlessly, Between 90 and 100% were horribly abused in every way, physically and sexually, spiritually and emotionally. Conservative estimates place mortality at 50-60% to for these kids. The generations of trauma cannot be underestimated. Some of the kids in that grave in Kamloops were as young as 3 years old. Even writing that, I feel like I could crawl out of my skin and scream, throw up, lay down and never get up, rend my garments, throw ashes and wail. Babies, babies, babies. Here's what I think she articulates really powerfully and beautifully. This is a dark chapter in our history. By now, I have lost count how many times I've heard that phrase. It comes from somber news anchors, journalists on location, government officials at lecterns, members of parliament in press releases, school teachers, even church leaders, usually when they speak of the history of residential schools. A dark chapter. What if it isn't simply a dark chapter, friends? What if this is actually our origin story? What if it isn't ancient history, but the story we're telling right now? And what if it isn't only happening in Canada, but also in the USA and Australia and elsewhere? What if it's not an anomaly, but the policy? What if there's no way forward without making right what has come before us? Then what? As a kid in Canada coming up through the school system, I remember that we talked about the residential schools once or twice, vaguely studied it, did a little project about this with the same unconcern we used for the British North America Act or the arrival of Samuel D. Champlain. It was a dark chapter, quote-unquote, we were told, a chapter that is long closed, hardly worth more than a page or two in our, written by white settlers, history books. To us, this was a long time ago. It had nothing to do with us. We didn't notice... The First Nations and Metis kids in the classroom had become very quiet and withdrawn while we wrote copied notes and underreported statistics from the overhead projectors. No one told us there were still residential schools open and operating at that blessed moment. No one named the truth that it wasn't a residential school, not really. It was state sanctioned genocide at concentration camps for children, explicitly intended to kill the Indian in the child and so erase Indigenous people and cultures. It wasn't until my late 30s that I learned of the 60s scoop, which was yet another government-sponsored policy towards Indigenous children. Once the residential schools fell out of favor, the governments and churches began to quietly close them, instead opting to take Indigenous children from their homes and families to be fostered and adopted by non-Indigenous families in a campaign. Not only were these children taken from their parents and grandparents from their families, they were also stolen from their way of life, their culture, their language, their heritage, often at the mercy of the foster care system. Even their names were lost. A friend of mine who was herself taken by the scoop testifies about sisters and brothers she's never met, a mother who fell apart in their absence, who wouldn't, grandparents who died without ever knowing where she was or if she had even survived, and the nights of loneliness and devastating grief she endured as a four-year-old, taken from the only life she knew, and dropped into a whole new world. My friend is only a few years older than me. We are of the same generation. Obviously, that last part, is like a punch to the gut for our family um, welcoming kennedy as a kinship care child into our home that's why we work closely with her family that's why we have open lines of commu- communication with her and that's why we're working to find a way for her to return to her people to her family if and when that's possible reverend dr Soon cha chan ra writes that true reconciliation justice and shalom shalom being the Hebrew word for the peace of fulfillment, of life returning to how it should be, require a remembering of suffering, an unearthing of a shameful history and a willingness to enter into lament. Lament calls for an authentic encounter with the truth and challenges privilege because privilege would hide the truth that creates discomfort. Privilege is a word that a lot of white people hate because a lot of non-white people use it against us, Privilege doesn't mean that your life isn't hard just because you're white. Privilege just means that your skin color isn't the reason it is hard. It means you have access to um, abilities and powers that other people don't have. White Christian males are the most privileged people on planet Earth. And that's just true whether you acknowledge it or not. Imagine the web attached to each child taken, their grandparents, their parents, their siblings, their communities, and yet more children are in government care now than there were at the height of the residential school system. We speak of reconciliation in Canada. The government and church leaders seem to have all the right words. Forgive me if I don't feel moved by words anymore. Because we just found 215, and I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, to Kemloops, to Sequempec, Sequapemic children in an unmarked grave. It's highly likely every residential school has a similar site, and yet there aren't plans for a full truth-telling or repatriation. Um, And then she lists a bunch of recent examples of prejudice against First Nation, Métis, and Inuit people. Um, One that's close to us in the Edmonton area, Ethan Baer of the Edmonton Oilers is the subject of racist bullying at the height of hockey. The Roman Catholic Church, and I would add the Anglican Church, although they've tried to make some reparations, the Roman Catholic Church still refuses to pay compensation or make an apology that matters, all while having their schools publicly funded. I saw the Pope made an apology on Twitter yesterday, and it was. I admire this Pope for a lot of reasons. His apology was pathetic. He didn't even apologize to Indigenous people, he apologized to Canadians. Indigenous people, they're their own nation. First Nations people are of their own nation. Canada is the one who did this to them. We deserve no apology. Anyway, there's a major gap in education for First Nations kids. Um, We buried Tina Fontaine and no one was accountable for her death. Colton Bushy in Saskatchewan was shot and his killer walked free. The Canadian government is fighting compensation for survivors in court. I just signed... um, uh, What's it called? I just signed... uh, What are are they called when you want to make your voice heard in government? Anyway, the government... The, the liberal government is fighting compensation for survivors they're fighting children in court that they don't need to compensate them there's the ongoing epidemic of missing and murdered indigenous women there are treaty violations we are in treaty six land here in clyde and almost all of the treaty promises were broken uh, there's pipeline plans there are deplorable living conditions on reserves who lack even running water in one of the richest nations in the world the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous, Indigenous People hasn't yet received royal assent in Canada and Bill C-15 was roundly opposed by the Conservative Party. There is story after story of entrenched racism in the RCMP, which was again created to quash First Nation people, and on and on we go. These 215 kids are not a sad anomaly. They are the official policy of Canada and the churches. Ignorance isn't an excuse or absolution. This is not long ago. This is now. This isn't a dark chapter, this is our origin story, especially if we are descended from settlers and if we are Christians. Every step towards healing, towards justice, towards truth, towards reconciliation matters. So does every step away from it, every turned back or willful ignorance. We have so far to go. Austin Channing Brown says reconciliation is what we practice after we have chosen justice, and we still haven't chosen justice. Not really, not as a nation, not as a church. How do we change the future when we won't even fully tell the story of our past? The first thing we learned through the Truth and Reconciliation Commission is that we haven't, we can't have reconciliation without truth, and truth demands justice. Reconciliation is an empty platitude without systemic change. So what do we do now? Well, we mourn, we lament, we name and acknowledge suffering, we let our hearts break, and we put away excuses, reasons, platitudes, and silence. We educate ourselves and each other. We light candles and attend vigils and lower our flags. We wear orange shirts and put teddy bears on our porches and pray. We tell the truth to our kids. We repent. We make reparations when we can. We actually read the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's report and the calls to action and we take them seriously. We demand that the Canadian government and the churches commit funding to account for the genocide and to find the stolen children and restore them to their people. We demand that our leaders and their lawyers stop fighting survivors in court, provide equal funding, clean water, and reform child welfare for Indigenous kids and families. It's a start. We can tweet at, or write to, or call our MP right now. Our MP is Arnold Viersen, who is my doppelganger. He looks exactly like me, Um, white Canadian Christian. Except he looks exactly like me. We stand and advocate in solidarity. Settlers can submit themselves to the wisdom of Indigenous leaders. We donate to local causes or charities or work like like the Indian Residential School Survivor Society in BC. We say every child matters and then we act like it. She has a list of resources. You can access the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's report, which is accounts of survivors compiled. um, The 94 calls to action, which I have read. I actually have it up on a tab here. Um, It's 94 ways that uh, we can support both truth and reconciliation. And items 58 to 61 in particular have to do with the church's role in truth and reconciliation, for which we have been complicit and need to repent. Um, The CBC is tracking progress on these calls to action, and it's very poor. Uh, She lists a few places we can donate to. Kairos Canada does a blanket exercise workshop, which does, in a much, much better way, the exercise I did of having us be in the shoes of parents and children. I've done a blanket exercise um, through professional development at the school, and it was very good. There's an overview of the Indian Residential School System booklet uh, here. We can learn whose land we're living on. We live primarily on Neheawak land. Neheawak is the Cree word for Cree people. Um, and we are on treaty six land, Alberta is, um, there are five treaties in Alberta. I've got a map of it here. Treaty six, treaty seven, treaty eight, treaty four and treaty 10. Um, our school division, Pimena Hills is treaty six and treaty eight. Um, there's many excellent books and movies. We were children and Indian horse are both on Amazon prime and can be watched any time, and they're about residential schools. Um, the book that I want to mention here, I've never read it, but I've heard lots about it, is Inconvenient Indian, A Curious Account of Native People in North America. I've heard it's excellent. Um, there are kids' books, including When We Were Alone, Dear Canada, These Are My Words, and Fatty Legs. Our girls have a book called Shinshi's Canoe, which is really great. Um, anyway, so that's Sarah Bessie's article. I wanted to read it. In fact, it's the thing that, that made me want to do this message today. So again, I don't want to lay the blame on you. You are not to blame. But I do want us as a church to grieve and to lament. I do want to see some change of attitude away from um, disinterest or um, even just Ignorance—you just don't know about it. Towards empathy and compassion, um, a stance of of standing in solidarity with the oppressed, um, of seeking justice. Those are all at the very core of the heart of Jesus. Residential schools were done in Jesus' name. It looks nothing like the kingdom of God. No part of residential schools looks like the church, even though it was done by the church. Um, it was brutal. It was evil. It was um, very unchristlike like in every possible way. And I really believe that it's up to us, the, the hands and feet of Christ, to be agents of justice, to speak out truth, and to, to, to be participators in reconciliation. I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know that in your daily lives, uh, you don't have an open prejudice against First Nations, Métis, and Inuit people, against Indigenous people. I know that you are welcoming to all people, and that's great. But again, silence is violence. Uh, And in this case, um, I guess I've known about residential schools for a long time, and I haven't done enough to make people aware. It it takes 215 dead children for it to become a news item. And I apologize for not making it aware. But justice needs to be served. Justice, not legal justice, justice true christ like justice of the the oppressed the the stomped on the the unloved being lifted up of the proud and the privileged being brought down not destroyed but brought down not made to feel supreme anymore that's justice that's equity that's love so thank you i know that was a gross, it was no fun to write at all it was no fun to speak I'm sure it was no fun to listen to but I really think the church needs to embrace the not fun of it and get our hands dirty in injustice truth and reconciliation please do pray for Kennedy um, and her family who are part of the web of the pain of residential schools Um, and Kennedy, like I mentioned, Kennedy, do you want to come out here? Do you want to tell our friends how it's been a hard week instead of me saying, do you want to tell them? It's been a hard, it's been a hard week because I've been having a lot of nightmares of things like residential schools coming back and stuff. And it's been a hard week of staying away from my cooking and stuff and like i don't know that much cre and i want long cree so i could be a like i could be a i can help people long feed that I want to thanks kennedy um i also after i posted that on facebook i i got a message from a former youth group kid of mine uh um but he sent me his life story. We talked on the phone for a long time. I asked for his permission to share his story and he said, no, that's my story to tell and I'm not ready to tell it. And that is so true of so many um, of these survivors and generations after survivors. It's their story to tell. It's our job to listen um, and then to make the changes we need to make for justice. Let's pray. God, we as, um, we as the church repent for our brothers and sisters who did this and continue to do this, continue to subjugate and oppress, demonstrate prejudice against our First Nations, Métis, Inuit neighbors. Father, we are thankful for our indigenous neighbors. Um, we're thankful for the strength and resilience that they have constantly shown Against white aggression, we're thankful for the beauty of so many of their um, belief systems um, that are actually really wise and instructive to us. We're thankful for stories of success. We weep and grieve and mourn and lament all the tragedy and all the pain that has been that they've been subjected to, um, just because they're not European. And uh, we think of. We think of survivors with ongoing trauma and uh, children of their survivors. We think of um, those who were lost and received no justice. We grieve that as well. In all of this, God, we know that you hated what was going on, what was being done in your name. You hated the injustice of it. You hated the brutality of it. You hated the um, white supremacy of it. We know that because you are a God of love and justice. And as a God of love and justice, I pray that you would make your people full of love, full of the desire for justice to serve and love and bring about both truth and reconciliation. Um, We lift up our first nation, Métis and Inuit neighbors to you. We lift them up and pray. We pray forgiveness for those who stomp them down. There's a lot to pray God. And I don't really know how to pray it. Um, Help us to be voices for um, justice, truth, and reconciliation. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Residential schools was a program of either killing the Indian in the child or, just to make things simpler, kill the child themselves. It's degrading, it's dehumanizing, it's despicable, and it was done in the name of Jesus. Is this how Jesus told us to go and make disciples? I don't want to lay the the blame on your feet, but I do want to ask, what role can we play in bringing about healing?